0: Hear my words and bear witness to my vow Night gathers and now my watch begins It shall not end until my death I shall take no wife Hold no lands Father no children I shall wear no crowns and win no glory I shall live and die at my post I am the sword in the darkness I am the watcher on the walls I am the shield that guards the realm of men. I pledge my life in honor to the Night's Watch. For this night, and all the nights to come. Hello and welcome to Still Watching Game of Thrones. I'm Vanity Fair Senior Writer Joanna Robinson.
1: And I'm Vanity Fair Chief Critic Richard Lawson.
0: If you're just joining us, we are counting down our top 15 episodes of Game of Thrones. I think we are like one third, one quarter of the way through. I don't know. We're, we're on our way. We are in season four. This week we are talking about season four, episode one, Two Swords, written by Weiss and Benioff and directed by DB Weiss. Uh, Dan Weiss is going to be co-directing the finale with with David Benioff. I think they actually like technically co-directed this, but because of like some, rules and the DGA or something like that. It's, it's credited to Weiss, but I think this is a co-pro between Weiss and Benioff in actuality. Here is my 15 word recap of this episode. The how needs some chicken. Taiwan makes some swords. and Jamie gets a new hand. So it certainly doesn't cover all of it, but it covers some of it. Uh There are two main reasons why I wanted to talk about this episode. One is that it's got, I think one of the classic cold openings, of uh, Game of Thrones, which is the um, the melting down of Ned Stark's sword into two new Valyrian steel swords. Uh, there are few, very few cold openings in Game of Thrones, and this is one of them. Uh, and then it is the introduction of Oberyn Martell. So I'm going to kick off. We're going to talk generally about why this episode is important. We're here. In se- here we are. Season four. We've survived the Red Wedding. Here we go. There are many reasons why this episode is important. We're going to hand out some awards before we get there, but I think we're going to start with the obvious MVP of the episode, which is Pedro Pascal, who blasts onto the scene as Ober and Martel. Richard, do you have a different obvious MVP for this episode? No,
1: of course not. Yeah. Like that's, that's the other one. Well, it's just so funny because, so, you know, we're starting this new season. The, the Stark war is over. The Stark, some of the Starks are still obviously a big part of the show, but like that whole plot line is kind of done. And so the show needs to introduce something new. And here comes this like totally different energy than we've had on the show before. Um, and, and I think it's, it's a big task that Pascal handles pretty well. Yeah.
0: I mean, like you're immediately there. Here's this infusion of not only a new character, but like, a new kind of character, right? Like, we mm-hmm. haven't had any Dorn in the show yet. So, like, here's all of Dorn. I mean, that went south eventually, but, like, started really strong. Uh, you know, shout out to Adira Varma, too, who's, who's great who's as Alaria Sand. She's fantastic. Uh, but we meet, uh, you know, Oberon, Alaria, your boy Oliver, all in the brothel. And, and you're immediately like, like sort of taken by them. It's funny. Cause um, I remember this is when I first, this is when you and I both actually first started writing for Vanity Fair was, was, uh, you know, this is our first season of Game of Thrones uh, that we ever wrote about for Vanity Fair. And um, I remember, cause I was a book reader when they released the photos, I think from the premiere, I wrote a whole piece that was like, here's, here are two characters you're going to love. Here's Oprah Martel, and Martel and you don't know who they are, but you're going to love them. And I felt so confident as a book reader. And I was right. And then I think I did the same thing with Sandgate. I was like Sand Snakes. I was like, here's three more characters you're definitely going to love. And then like. And everyone loves out. them.
1: And they're the most popular characters from the show.
0: The end. All right. So, um, Peter Pascal, obvious MVP, my sneaky MVP for this episode. Actually, and this is something we haven't talked about that much, but I really, really love the season three, uh, season four work from Sophie Turner. Um, as Sansa Stark. There is this, we watch Sansa deal with the aftermath of the red wedding in this episode. She's got this lovely scene with Tyrion where she's like upset, but there's something different than the sort of childlike upset that we see from her in season three, um, where th- this is just a profound wound. It's deeper than the wound from her father's death. Even And it's just like, maybe because she felt more connected to her mother. I don't know what it was, but it's just sort of like her family's dead. I think it's that Ned died, but her family was still sort of like holding down the fort in the north. And if she could just get out of King's Landing, like she could be safe at home. But when her mother and her brother die, she has no idea where Arya is or if Arya is alive. Uh, John was never anything to her. Brynn and Rickon are are dead as far as she's concerned. Like, she's alone in the world now. That's how she feels. And I think you begin to see, like, Sansa Stark as Lady of Winterfell is such, like, a frosty human. And she has many good reasons to be a frosty human. And you start to see young Sophie Turner, like, go there uh, in this episode. Uh, So that's why she's my sneaky MVP.
1: That's a good choice. Um, I think that, uh, my choice was, was more just going to be like silly, but it's like Maester Eamon again, because I love in the little, um, trial scene where he's like, if every, you know, Night's Watchman we'd be headed for, for sleeping with a girl, there would be, the wall would be empty. You know, it's like just very like practical. Like he's just like, he's like, takes his job seriously, but also is like realistic about the world. So, um, I, I always, I always like him when he's in the episode.
0: There's no bad Maester Eamon scene like no, n- exactly. never. He's fantastic from start to finish. Uh absolutely. All right. <clears throat> Here is here's the time when we perform a quote from the episode. Um this is the first time where I feel confident because I know I can do a Martell impression. And it goes like this. Do you know why all the world hates a Lannister? Uh <laughs> <laughs> that's my that's my Oberin Martell oh, impression. That's good. What do you got, Richard?
1: My quote is thins i fucking hate thins (laughs) because who likes the thins nobody likes the thins
0: nobody likes the thins that's so great uh yeah we get some cannibalism in this episode which is which is really fun um all right we are gonna do best dressed and i hate to be redundant but i cannot give it to anyone else but you know the shiny prince himself over martel and his like silky saffron robe he wears many beautiful robes in this season but this is our first one and it is a doozy what do you say
1: i like olivar's little blue number
0: yeah it's pretty good it's pretty good um, and to round out my redundancy, uh, my ship for this episode is Obermartell and literally anything with a pulse. He shows in this episode that he is game for it. He is pansexual. He is, uh, into it all. This is the most sexually liberated couple in all of, uh, Game of Thrones. What do you say, Richard?
1: I mean, it's hard to argue with that, but, uh, I could say maybe also, you know, Tormund and the, the Fens, you know, like.
0: <laughs> sure.
1: Build bridges. <laughs>
0: Build bridges with your sexuality. I mean, there's, like, good stuff with, uh, Indira Varma also. Um, oh, she's
1: wonderful. And, oh, and there's New Dario.
0: New Dario. New Dario. Um, Michelle Kussman. Uh, there's, uh, his introduction this episode is so funny because, uh, like, they recast Dario between season three and season four because I believe it's because Ed Scrine wanted to do the transporter because he thought the transporter would be the beginning of a beautiful franchise for him. He's doing great stuff, by the way. Like, I, I actually really liked him in Alita Battle Angel, a movie that I didn't enjoy, and I think he's great in Deadpool as well. So, I'm, you know, he's
1: doing some good stuff. He also, like, did a good thing where he was cast oh, yeah. in a, a, a role that was meant for an Asian actor, and he stepped down.
0: Yeah. So, you know, we're, we're pretty up on Ed, but he might have made a bad decision leaving,
1: uh, this show.
0: Anyway, um, he, oh, when New Dario rolls up, we get this whole scene where Daenerys goes, where's dario and they're like he's over there with gray Worm. so whoever we find over there with gray worm that's that's definitely (laughs) dario
1: no questioning that yes we did have the one lannister uh, baratheon boy play his cousin but you know no tricks here
0: (laughs) it's fine this is fine so yeah it's uh yeah we get new Dario, uh, we get some great all of our stuff, and we're off to the races. This is, this is a King's Landing heavy episode, but we get some other stuff. I mean, we get like a classic Arya and the Hound scene. Um, Arya and the Hound hook up at the end of season three, but like this is the beginning of a season long road trip sort of, uh, sequence for them, and the really beginning of Arya, like Sansa, really leaning into her darkness after what she saw at the twins. And so we get the Hound and Arya at this tavern and Arya kills a guy with, with her sword that she gets back from him. And it's like vengeance for her friend that he killed, but it's, uh, it's very dark, uh, this, this scene here.
1: Well, yeah, because she kills two people. And the first one she kills with a bigger sword and she just very slowly, probably because it's a big, heavy sword and she's tiny just slowly pushes it into the guy's chest, which is, like, horrifying. And, yeah, and then with Needle, obviously, she stabs him through the neck. And it's interesting, I think we were talking on another episode about um Daenerys and the sort of birth of her sort of sociopathy, for lack of a less dramatic word. Yeah. Um, and I think that the, the interesting thing about this show, that always, I, I kind of questioned, like, is Arya, and, may, and maybe in the books too, is Arya supposed to be, like, a hero? Are we rooting for her? Is she cool? Is she whatever? And, of course, she has her moments, but, like, ultimately, this is a story about a kid who, yes, was interested in f- sword fighting, like, her brothers, whatever, but, like, this is a story about a kid who is completely radicalized by war and tragedy into becoming, like, a straight-up murderer. Um And I think the show has always been at least a little bit careful to, like, more in that a little bit rather than just being like you know look she she got tough you know
0: yeah i mean it's it, she's she like my my hope for aria is there's some sort of healing journey for her in the final season yeah um because yeah this is this is the dark path she's on i think it's easy to cheer for her sometimes because you're just like yeah like um you, you take your revenge, little girl with a sword. You're so cool. But then, like, when you stop to think about it, as you say, like, everything about her is deeply tragic. This is a person who's profoundly broken by the, the things that have happened to her family. And, like, all of her bad, quote unquote, badassery is just, like, frantic survival <laughs> tactics, you know, and, and you see that a lot, I think in season seven, when she comes back to Winterfell and she's so creepy and her sister like, doesn't know what to do with her, you know, yeah. um, like what, like Arya being weird and doing faithless man shit over in Braavos is one thing. Aria coming home and like, in, you know, planting that stuff in Winterfell really underlines how, how strange Turn her life took, you know, so.
1: And here is the kind of beginning of it.
0: Yeah, absolutely. Um, and then, uh, we get one of my favorite, uh, interactions, which is Lady Elena and Brian of Tarth, uh, where Lady Elena says something <sighs> like, You're magnificent.
1: Oh, but she <laughs> loves her so <laughs> yeah, much. It's she the best. loves her. <laughs> Cause you think that she's going to be like, Oh, like who is this beast or whatever. But instead she's like, Oh, you're fabulous. I love you. Yeah.
0: <laughs> you're amazing. Incredible. Um yes.
1: Yeah.
0: <laughs> yes. Queen. Yes. Brienne. Um, yeah. And we get, um, the Brienne and Marjorie stuff, like the, the, once again, it's, it's like you've mentioned in the past, like the show, not forgetting its connections, like that Renly connects these two women that that's. That is a thing that these women have a history together. Uh, and here they are back in King's Landing together. So, yeah, there you go. Um, is there anything else that you want to talk about in this episode before we talk about Jamie's amazing new hand?
1: Uh, I think we should go to that hand.
0: All right, let's go to that hand. Um, yeah, Kyburn gives uh, Jamie Lannister a golden hand, which, uh, is, uh, produces one of my favorite gifts of all time, which is Jamie just sort of like waving with his golden hand. Um, but you know, this, this is, I'm, I'm curious, I actually want to know what you think. Like, if, if we're to like fanfic daydream, like, what do you think happens with that hand in the final season of Game of Thrones? Like, is Jamie gonna like toss it off? Like, does it replace like represent Lannisterism to him? Like what, what is that hand? What is he going to do with it?
1: That's a great question. Uh, and I had not thought about that because I tend to think of the, the, the end, end of the show in terms of like, who's on the throne, you know, Jan- John, Danny, that kind of stuff. I guess I hadn't, I, I think that a lot of people are going to die and I kind of think that Jamie's going to be one of them. Uh huh. Um, so maybe the hand will come into play or like Brianne will like find it and take it home or something like that. I don't know. Um, but you're right that there, it is such a significant, um, defining characteristic of him from, from now, from, you know, for season four on that, um, they'll have to kind of have some closure for that thing.
0: Yeah, absolutely. I, I, I don't know, like I kind of see it melting somewhere (laughs) or something like that. Um, Mm -hmm. or yeah, or maybe it, it, it dragging him down or holding him back in some way. And then he has to like cut loose from it that seems to me like maybe that's too obvious i don't know but that seems to me to be like the thing that he should let go of or maybe like you know he he decides not to wear it in you know if if he doesn't make it in in whatever last stand he has he decides to leave the hand behind um because he or he like it.
1: returns it to cersei and sort of as sort of like a sign of like we're done
0: oh jamie sends his regards with his hand yeah.
1: or he like <laughs> tosses it onto the table or something. <laughs>
0: Anyway, yeah. I got my I got my eye on that on that hand is my point. I don't know what's going to happen with it, but it feels like too symbolic uh to not play into something. And I think they are leading up to Jamie having some kind of very important tragic end uh in this final season. That's not a spoiler. I, I think there have been a lot of indicators for that. So, uh we'll see when it is and how it is, but uh you know,
1: keep very right Spike and Buffy.
0: <laughs> oh, oh, you know,
1: same similar oh. arc.
0: Yeah, wow, yeah. I do have a type.
1: It's true. All right. Uh,
0: <laughs> and then, um, what do we think of, of the, um, of the John stuff in this episode? Of, of John reckoning with Rob's death and, and like his admission of what he did while he was, you know, being a spy and all of that? Um,
1: yeah, I feel like in some ways this is the beginning of a long period where John's just at the wall, right? Yeah. Uh, um. Yeah. <laughs> and so his adventuring is over for the time being, and it's back to the the kind of rules and regs of uh of what's left of the Night's Watch. And um, yeah. I mean, it's like a, it's. I, I guess there's more to come with your greet and whatnot. But um, I don't know. I in some ways I am kind of glad to have him back, at, at, you know, at home, so to speak. But I also I, I liked him out in the wild uh, with everybody.
0: Excellent. And then I'm just going to come back to to Ober one last time and just say that um in addition to this really flashy intro that we get to him, he dumps a lot of exposition on us um in a way that um winds up being really important. He talks about his sister, Ilya, he talks about Rhaegar Targaryen and like all of, all of the stuff that happens and like information about Rhaegar, what he did with his first wife and what happened to his first wife and his kids and all that is, is not only important to, the duel that we get at the end of the season, but it's important to John's parentage, um, which we will find out, you know, many seasons hence. So yes. it's always fun to watch these little things take root early on. So. Okay. That is it for our discussion of season four, episode one, two swords. Please stay tuned. We have a great great, long, juicy interview with weapons master Tommy Dunn, who has a lot of fun things to say about weapons he wished he had made, weapons he loved making, cameos he had, and, and a few little hints about season eight.
1: I'm Claire Fallon.
0: Hello, how are you?
2: Don't know how are you? Right.
0: Tommy Dunn, weapons master on Game of Thrones. Before we all break our collective hearts talking about melting down Ned Stark's sword ice into two different swords in this episode called Two Swords, uh, let's talk about the process of making a hero sword like ice um, in the first The
2: blades, especially with the pattern welders with ice, I mean, ice, yeah. the ice of ice, Long Claw, Widow's Wail, Old Keeper um again all of those were were handcrafted and hand hand forged um all pattern welded
0: Pattern welding is is what you use to um make this those sorts that you mentioned are all valerian Which is valerian? Yes. The, the world. yes. Yeah, yeah yeah yeah. So what is the process of pattern welding? How does that differ from uh, any other kind of blade?
2: Well, um it's a good question because it's it's the pattern welding is is basically the forging it's the forging of of different types of iron and steel um, different carbon contents it's it 's a very standard form it 's a very i mean down to the i think it was the second or third century the celts were doing it um, a d so it 's quite a quite a, a, um, a, with the forging end of it it it's, it's, 's it's welded strips of of high carbon steel. Um, welded together in a billet form heated up to over a thousand degrees and then hammered and folded and processed and drawn so it's a lot that goes with it but it's, it's, it's not it's something that you would always do Lear, learning your forge work and learning as a blacksmith or um, as an ironsmith you would have this kind of world where you would be you know learning how to fold metal and draw it but the only difference on this one is that you're actually using different tensile different, different carbon contents of steel it gives you different layers and different flows of materials. And then how you twist it and how you fold it will create different patterns within the forge and the folding and the r and the R&D. So
0: you make this beautiful, huge sword that's, uh, you know, however many feet long. Yeah. Yeah. Um, <laughs> And yeah. <laughs> um, and then we we melted it down. uh yes, you know, unfortunately. By the time we get to here, <laughs> disastrously. And um, so you appear in this scene as the blacksmith melting down. Ice.
2: I do. I sneak out. I sneak out around the corner. Yeah, yeah. So, so you see me sneaking in from the dark. <laughs> um, yeah, that was, it was a good scene. We had obviously <laughs> Tywin Lannister played by by Charles Dance. Um. He obviously draws yeah. it out originally with his, he draws it out from the um from the dire wolf sheath that we have. So he draws it out, then you see the beautiful blade and then you know straight away exactly what it is and then he walks into the the forged area and presents it to me. Um and then obviously I start breaking it down. And I have an assistant there as well, um, Steve Murphy, who is actually one of my young guys that that walk with me on the um in within the workshop on the, in, in the armory. And he is a he's a young blacksmith himself mm-hmm. in his own right. He's a very very good, great talent, very talented blacksmith himself. So it was funny having him as the assistant, and and he used the and me as the, uh, the master. So it was a little bit a little bit of funniness, but it was um no, it was a great scene. We enjoyed it. We enjoyed it. But the <laughs> but the heat because we used the we used a cellar. We were down in a cellar in um, I can't think it was Shane's Castle. I think it was. I'm not sure it could have been, but we were down in one of the cellars, um, and my god, the heat was terrible it was like oh, it was no. boiling I mean the forge itself was a practice they built the, the special effects and uh, the art department props and they built a practical forge which you can obviously see there which is, it, it did work for what it was mm-hmm. um, and the heat of that and then we also had special effects that had a um, um, a little forward, little blast furnace beso- beside us also because they, they were heating up the the bronze that we're using or the brass that we're using to pour into the, into the moulds because you had to heat that up over 900 degrees thereabouts. So we Ugh. had that going and the forge yeah. going, and we were choking with the heat. It was, like, unbelievable. And it was beautiful outdoors as well. But it was like, oh, my <laughs> God. <laughs> you like, thanks,
0: thanks guys. Thanks for asking me to be in there. Yeah, so. I know.
2: Exactly, yeah. And, and then the funny thing was, what originally I started off with sleeves. I had sleeves in that um, in that sequence, and it was so warm, I, just, I ripped them out of it. I don't need the four-hour costume department <laughs> to handle it. I just happened to rip them out of it. <laughs> just because it was so warm. But it was it was a great scene. It was a very, um, it was a lot of practice. We had, obviously, because there's a lot of safety involved with it, dealing with the,
1: yeah. well, the basically fire. dealing with the crucible.
2: Yeah. yeah, you got the fire there. Then you got the crucible that we had to lift up and pour the crucible into the into the mold, creating that molten lava. Um, so I had to make sure that it was all, you know, properly done well, and then and uh, and safe for everybody because the cameras are right beside us and and down below looking up and looking down, um, and then obviously then later on special effects took over to make it like a within a special effects and a visual effects feel to it as well. Um, but it was all practical. It was all we do a lot of it very very practical as well. Try to do as much the camera as possible. Um, yeah, it was, an, it was an enjoyable scene. So I think we did, it for, yeah, I think it was a two day shoot. Good fun.
0: It's, it's incredible. Um, in the, in the books, the, um, and even in the world of the show, the idea of, of making Valyrian steel or even working it as you are in the scene, um, yeah. is this highly trained, only one person, you, your character really like knows how to do it. Um, did, you know, but but what you're doing here is is what looks like like fairly standard sort of reforging kind of thing. Was there any discussion ever of like, oh, we should do something very extreme with it to make it look um much more complicated or anything like that? Um I think
2: yes there was. Obviously with 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 David and Dan, they need to try and make it as much, you know, as as epic as possible. But I think we right. getting to the stage. I think it was getting to the stage because the two boys were directing this. It was one of their sequences, one of their scenes that they were directing themselves. Um, right. But I think it was getting to the stage. Where it was getting. It uh, was possibly getting out of hand. So we had to, Everybody had to draw back to, you know, get the basic feel to it. And I mean, the 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 idea of of the way it looked was was very good as well. Because trying to put that blade in and then melt it down, get that feel that it's it's melted which would be virtually impossible but who cares but uh <laughs> it's just it's you guys it was one of those things where I originally came up with thinking it, that I'd be able to split the blade, that we'd be able to you know, forge the blade and split it, try to split it manually into two and then reforge it again. But um, I think the two boys looked at me as if I had two heads and said, nah, go <laughs> away, <laughs> go away don't. We'll, do it. we'll do it our way. <laughs> so it, it, their way was much more epic than mine. Mine, 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 mine unfortunately, was practical, but theirs was... Uh was Who ethical that? if
0: that's the word <laughs> <laughs> yeah sure um so the the resulting blades are Oath oathkeeper and widow's Whale, widow's um yeah, which become Brienne and Joffrey, and then Jamie's sword or whatever. Yes. But um, yes. there, another thing that I like visually in that scene is because they're two different lengths. You yes. kind of really understand that you're getting these two different blades here. Um, yes. What was the decision behind making them uh, two different lengths? Like
2: that? Well, that's that's a good that's a good question because um, to be honest, um, I don't know what the real backstory was that, but but obviously within the so within the script. Once we had a script, it was just, it was scripted as, as broken two swords, giving the names, with his Whale, Old Keeper, and describing With his Whale as a smaller, as a um, smaller blade weapon than Old Keeper. Um, and then it worked out very well for the two characters, because obviously Jamie was a, was a grown man and much taller, and obviously, and then Joffrey was a smaller, a smaller character, bigger character, but maybe right. a smaller person. So it actually worked out very, very <laughs> right. well. In yeah. size-wise per frame, but yeah. I just don't know if that was um, personally a a of look or um or, or face or one or the other. I don't know which, but um, right, a, yeah. a sword
0: for a boy and a sword for a man. Yeah, sort of yeah,
2: yeah. because obviously I mean, it, it was a present from it was it was a present from Taiwan. Yeah. so obviously he divided out for his two, um, you know, the king at the time, obviously, which is which is Joffrey, and then his own son Jamie as such. So obviously. You know, he had plenty of thought and and um say in it. Yeah, yeah. Of not course. that he did. <laughs> <laughs> not
0: that Charles had anything to say about it. Um and then <laughs> not that
2: Charles had anything to do with it. He just turns up and looks great.
0: <laughs> so this is your um, if I if if I've got my facts straight, this is, was your Third time on screen because you were originally you were in the original original pilot that never made it to air and then in, yes, and then in, never made air, yes. and then in the pilot that we did see uh shaving the boys in the in season one episode yes. one so can you talk yes.
2: can you talk about yes.
0: those two cameos and how they came about
2: yeah they were they were funny because I think um I think they were just looking for Bruce's people and I, somehow I fell into that category <laughs> I don't I don't think. Even... Something to do with my talent because I, I obviously don't have much of them, but I, I do. I do look like a brute, so <laughs> I walk out very well. But um, the first one was was obviously with the with, with the director on the pilot. Pilot is that the um, everyone just got on very well and was a small little family type of thing. And they were looking for this Bruce again that just looked left and right and tried to find young Bran looking up a, a walking up. Um, climbing the roof at the time and uh, you had me coming out like an idiot looking left he's gone right then looking right and he's gone left and it's like (laughs) typical soldier so and that never made it to air either so and that was uh, was the director just asked me would I do that because I I knew nothing about that because then it was poor the poor director's assistant come up he said oh thank you very much Tommy and I'm thinking what 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 for I said yeah yeah no problem (laughs) he said have you seen your costume yet I'm going what, what costume? <laughs> so I hadn't got a clue what they were talking about. Oh, no. So that was, but the second one of the first season, um, and that was, again, I think, again, they're looking for another brute, because i seen that script, and i seen the wrote, wrote in there, and i going, hang on a second, that sounds like me. And then I knew Dave and Dan, when they were walking past my office window, looking in laughing, that <laughs> it was me. So... I'm sure they're just trying to just try and stitch you up to have a bit of a laugh, you know. <laughs> and then the funny, the funny thing about that one as well, because they gave me a, they gave me a cutthroat, and uh, it was ra- it was razor sharp. And I said, "What am I going to do with this?" And I had to go back into the workshop, so I am in my apron and i was dressed out and looked like a a right tramp. And I'm into the workshop, and the lads are laughing at me, and my own crew, <laughs> and I'm uh, trying to trying to blunt uh, blunt down this edge. To make it safe before they cut the boy's throat.
0: Yeah, so you don't literally. so you don't murder Kit so, um, Harrington. Uh,
2: no, 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 <laughs> exactly. Don't no murder Kit and poor and poor Rob as well. It's like thinking, oh my god, <laughs> this, this scene will be over. It'll take about two seconds, and that's it. I want to
0: let you know that I lost a Game of Thrones trivia game once. By one point, because I couldn't name the butcher at Winterfell, but his name is his name is Tommy. He's named Tommy for you, right?
2: Exactly, <laughs> exactly.
0: I've heard you talk before about the fact that you made Robert's Warhammer, and we never—I don't think we ever saw Robert. We never Warhammer. seen yeah. it. We yeah. no,
2: we never did. We never did. We 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 made up. We made an original one that you know, an, an area. That we thought we were in, and we started, we did one anyway to have one just just in case. But the boys never used it, and I always trying to get pushed it in. I wanted it for dressing, or even it was in in Robert's you know bedroom or back room or any. But it never got aired. It,
0: Robert would keep his warhammer in his bedroom, I'm pretty sure. So
2: you would think he would, yeah. He was he's one of and I kept trying to dress it in, but they always kept telling me get out, get out. You know <laughs> you don't need you. So it. So it's like. You don't how many times you can try and force that, force the weapons in there. So uh, we never used this, never, never, never shot on. Do
0: you remember when? Uh, but obviously,
2: when we came to Gendry, yeah, yeah, yes, yeah, we did.
0: Yeah, and so how closely did Gendry's Warhammer resemble the one you made for Robert?
2: Very, yeah. very, because I wanted what I wanted want to do is, so even though we never seen it, I actually used a lot of the imaging that I, from that and then readapt it. So a lot of the, the the visual shape is very very similar, that like the the body and the the point and the and the bulbous nose to it, but the the, the shape of the of the wrapping that, or the um the stag the stag wrapping and the antlers wrapping up around the side of it. Was not on on Roberts.
0: So when you got when you got that script when it said Genry needs a warhammer, you're like, oh, I've already done the work on this. Right? That, was, that was already made. <laughs>
2: yeah. it was already made. It was in the was in, that was in the, the closet waiting to come
0: out. I think I t- I talked to Joe Dempsey uh, a little while ago and he told me that you know he he was told before uh, the season was started that he was going to have to work with a hammer and then he trained <laughs> with like a sledgehammer that he bought at you know the local hardware store or whatever in his backyard just. <laughs> Throwing that thing around getting strong and then he got to set and it was like light as a feather the one that they actually had him use. <laughs> <laughs>
2: the one that has, the, one, the we know what it's like. <laughs> he, he fell over that and he killed everybody. But um, yeah we had, we, we had choices there obviously but in fairness in fairness to him he, he liked to carry the heavier one around most of the time. Because the problem with the light ones, they get too. It's like a child swinging it, You know, it's yeah. too easy yeah, yeah. and it looks too light. So, in fairness, in fairness to Joe, he actually did carry the the, the heavy one around as much as as much as you wanted to, which is you know, like five minutes here and five minutes sure, there. Sure,
0: but he's like I didn't build up these muscles for nothing. I can I carry <laughs> this him <hammer."
2: laughs> I think I don't think he's built it up for the forge work at all. I think it's just pure pure vanity. <laughs> you no, know, it's a good he's it, a good lad. And we did and in, in that in that world as well, we did it we did a bit of forge work with him. A lot of yeah. uh, I'm not saying a lot, but we had a couple of days with him um that we set out and um, we brought him up to my lads uh, Steve's boundary that he has in his own place and we and we did some work with him one to one so he wouldn't feel the worst part is feeling afraid. It's not the fact that you can do it. Anybody can hammer. You know, you, you can get a hammer and, and hammer away. It's it's actually just feeling feeling positive and, and not feeling afraid of of um, letting the hammer go or sparks coming out at you. You know that the sparks are gonna fly down rather than fly up. So it's just a little bit of awareness, that kind of stuff so he's not worried about you know, that he's, you know, affected that, that he'd have any sparks toward his eyes. He knows that everyone would fly away from him. So it's just more for confidence and a little bit of, little bit of posture. But he was very good. I mean, he's a young lad, so he's. Well capable are doing, but it. the
0: the fact that we see a snippet of Gendry sort of s- smithing in the trailer that's already out that people have seen, um, yes. I think people yes. are really excited to see that because obviously, yes, he's
2: got a lot of work. Yeah, yeah. He's got a
0: lot of <laughs> Obviously, they got a lot a lot of forging to do. Um, all right, and then
1: a lot of forging.
0: <laughs> and then, um, to talk about another season one weapon that sort of made a reappearance is this cat's paw dagger that showed up in season one with like brand's assassination. Oh yes. And then it's become so important to, to Aria. And so my question for yeah. you is, um, did you know that that was going to come back when you first designed it? And if you had known, would you have made it a little differently? Um, knowing, <laughs> knowing that it was going to be Arya's blade later.
2: um, no and no, is probably my words because I mean it was a beautiful. It was a, I, I enjoyed and how it was a beautiful creation. Yeah. Art. Um, yes, it was made for you know a sort of i was saying a man size, but it was made as an assassin's dagger. So therefore, it need to be a bit more brutal, a bit more in your face, and it could kill from both both ends. You know, obviously the knife as well as the the hilt either either way would kill you. Um, so. It was probably a little bit big now we did cheat a little bit with, with, with aria with um, obviously with Maisie. so we had we had areas where we, we we had the weapon and then we replicated it down by down to like seventy percent mm-hmm. of the original size just to, just to help our performance but she actually was very good with the with the with the full size one it's just the problem was that and the problem was that we overlapped different directors. So one director actually was happy with a hundred percent and then the other director wanted the 70%. And I was like, Oh my God, please don't put this scene together. You know, like, and it's just, it, it was what it was, you know, it was, it's not my call. I just, I'm just the, the brutish guy that makes the stuff. So, um, so I just, I don't have to say it that, but anyway, so we made it, we made one that was scaled down to 70%, um, if required. And, um, like I said, we always had it there. But Maisie was very good. She, and she liked the weight of the original one because she had to do a lot of spinning and turning as you've right. you seen with the fight with Brienne and that.
0: What's it like to see these various actors like Gwendolyn or or Maisie uh, or Kit handling these weapons that you've made and, and they train so hard and I think they do an amazing job?
2: Yeah, I mean, from my end of it, I mean, obviously as the as the, as the weapons master and, and, and for my team, it's it's great because it's one of those things where you can see how your your walk and your 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 um, blood, sweat, and tears is out and being used on camera. Because I've been on so many different jobs where we've made so much, and it's purely dressing in the background and never seen, never used. So for for us to personally have the weapons in your face and in the front and always been used. And then obviously having highlighted weapons like your, your assassin's dagger or your O-keeper with his whale. And you know, all that so everything's got a name. So people get used to where's this weapon, where's needle, where. So um, it really puts your, puts your work forefront to the show as well. So you, you, you feel much more involved with the shoot and much more involved with the storyline because um, especially with David and Dan, if they like what you've created, they've, they've no hesitation of writing more of it and putting, putting it out there a bit more or putting it in your face. Especially even with the directors, a lot of directors like to maybe start on the weapon and focus off and then come off it and come on to the actors. and for us, that's, it's, it's unbelievable. Normally people shy away from that.
0: Yeah. You know how Game of Thrones fans are. They sort of pour over every single frame of something. And yeah, start. I remember, I think it was last season that Jamie first wore Widow's Whale and, and people yes. saw in a promo photo, they saw the hilt on his hip and they got so excited. And the same thing, I think <laughs> happened in the season eight trailer because you can see that, uh, Jorah is wearing Heartsbane in the trailer. And, and yeah, that must be, <laughs> it must be fun for people to freak out over the, these pommels that you You've made, you
2: know. And- well, that's it. That's it yeah. exactly. You know, I mean, on their end, of it, it's like it's a full, it's a full creation. It's a lot of work's gone into it, and and the last thing you want is never to be seen. So at least with this, you know the weapon's out there. You know it's going to be seen, and you know it's going to be it's going to play an integral integral part. In the storyline, yeah, and that's the great thing about it is that the, the the weapons are the ones that get them out of the trouble as much as anything else. <laughs> They're the ones that will save the day. Yeah, so um, that's what I'm, I'm I'm very happy about it and very happy about it. And same as you know, obviously with season eight, you know, the weapons are are what what we talk about. You know, the
0: last weapon that is brought back from the beginning and and is is so key again here in the end is the uh, the flaming sword uh, for Beric Dondarrion. Um, for Beric, yeah. yeah, so I was wondering if you could talk about that a little bit.
2: Yeah, I mean absolutely I mean again that one was it was quite basic because Beric was one of these um rogue or very much down to earth and, mm-hmm. and part and parcel of the of the feeling of the world itself. But nothing spectacular about what he did except for the light, obviously for the light, but the, the sword flaming and everything else. But the sword itself was a quite a basic sword. Um, nothing fantastic about it, like in in appearance quite a quite a standard medieval feel and pommels and crosshair and handle but obviously its power was that it ignites on on uh, as he feels you know so the the overlap on that one was obviously with ourselves the special effects with um, with sam conway 's team was to make sure that we were able to replicate the have pass over the bl- some blades to them, cross-guards, pommels, and then basically they created their own gas version. And then, they, and then Special Effects created a, um, a blade that were able to impregnate the, the, the inner blade themselves. They had a bit of wadding in there and had a bit of IPA or a liquid fuel that they were able to ignite. And then then replicated many of them. So um, the boys did, they did a good job on them with the effects. But for my end of it, there was no great dealing other than it's
0: a basic sword sword. yeah
2: yeah 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 quite basic quite
0: basic um and is it the same did did the same thing you know when we see it in season three kiss by fire uh is it the same setup that we see uh later on here in season seven
2: yes the actual practical way it, it lights up is the same way all the time
0: it's so spectacular okay so you have forged your final weapon for Game of Thrones a series proper yeah is there any character that you didn't get to make a weapon for that you really wish you could have
2: yeah there, there was one the one character who always wanted us because she always said where's mine every time you're on set was, was Lena yeah <laughs> So, Cersei is always, she's a lunatic, is that, you know, with Lena, she's always, you're always talking to her, and and she's a great, great woman, and she's always going, where's my weapon, where's my weapon, when do I get a weapon, <laughs> and uh, <laughs> I said, you speak to Dave and Dan, I'll make you whatever you want, but uh, she's always, because she'd have been great, because she's such a cool character, and um um, and such a wonderful person, yeah, but she is a lunatic, you know, and she would have been great.
0: What kind of weapon do you think Cersei would have had? A dagger of some kind, right?
2: Oh, it would have been a dagger for her. Definitely something, 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 something cutting, you know, something that she can just, you know, it'll appear from nowhere and just decimate people in front of her. But um, yeah, it would be, it would be a nice, um, something, I I guess I'd, I'd do something Japanese for her, something that would be just sleek and very sharp and just very, uh very fast, and then back to being demure.
0: Right, yeah, right back up the sleeve or whatever. I love that. Oh, what I do. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah.
1: yeah. <laughs> um,
0: and then do you have a, a I don't know if you're, you want to play favorites, but do you have a personal favorite weapon that you designed for the show?
2: Um, not, not particularly as such, because I mean, I enjoy, I enjoy them all, you know, because we, we, we've had so much that you never had a chance to sort of sit back and, and Throw sugar on us, and think you're the best thing ever, so you just have to make it get on and make the other five hundred when you're you know when you're ready so well, not really i mean holds Aria holds the bodyguard I enjoyed or really enjoyed because it such a big it's such axe. a big staff yeah. big, the big axe or the big. You know, not Albert or what. You know, the boy said, Oh, you can make me an axe. And i go, A six-foot axe. I said, Who makes a six-foot axe? <laughs> I said, I'll make you something, but it won't be. You can call it whatever you want to call it, but I said, I won't call it an axe. But, um, so they were very happy with it, all right. And it was funny because the first time they did see it was with Dave and Dan. I showed them in, um, I think we were in Croatia at the time. Um, and brought it over and showed them, and they went and the first thing they looked and they knew it was nice but the first thing they said that doesn't look like an axe I'm going, I'm going yeah I told you it wouldn't look like an axe <laughs> <laughs> but they still they still said yeah it's very nice <laughs>
0: uh, yeah and because it's Dornish it's all ornate it's got all those jewels exactly on it. exactly
2: yeah. it was beautiful and it was lovely I loved creating the shape and making that and then obviously You've got the brass work on it there, which is the gold and then the wrapping and binding around the um, the shaft itself.
0: Um, and then do you do um, to what extent do you do the armor as well? And and to what extent is that costuming?
2: Not not so much. No, I mean the costume would be it would be virtually a hundred percent costume. It wouldn't mm. be my. I mean, I, I've done before on different shows a little bit. Sometimes you'd overlap in areas where you might need maybe a. Um, a greave or some part of the armor that you need to turn into a weapon to, or you might create a blade for it or arrows but on this show no, it's in the costume and the armor um, as in the metal armor is is 100% costume I thought
0: I read an interview somewhere where you were talking about using snakeskin to create Oberyn Martell's armor did I dream that?
2: What you, but the Oberyn, I mean overand I mean, we not on his breastplate. Oh. Did he have any breastplate on the arm? Because he only had um He only had beautiful sort of silky gowns on him on Oberyn. Obviously, we did his, his spare.
0: I think I think for the duel, I'll have to rewatch it. But I think he has some sort of like it's not intensive armor, but it's yeah. like practical leather sort of armor? Comes no,
2: right uh, no, no. Yeah. <laughs> okay. I, must have, I, must have, I must have made that one up. I maybe like this. Like okay. No, no, no. <laughs> no. I can't claim that one, Michelle, kill me. No, thanks. <laughs>
0: oh, no, okay. <laughs> I've heard you talk before about... Um, giving tours of, of the arsenal that you have um, well, there yeah, yeah, of the well, armory yeah.
2: yeah no I don't give tours um, I, I mean the production office and HBO requests can I kind of bring t- people around so I don't I don't right. have a I don't You're have I I don't guy. have a ticket right. out there you know I don't have a ticket booth <laughs> out there and I'm selling tickets to my own workshop in case right, right, <laughs> right. <there's a laughs> HBO will be looking for their money back off me but um, he, <laughs> yes yes normally the production ring up and go oh Tommy we have friends of Dan in. I said "Lovely, send them over yeah. and then um, you never know who they are. They're, they're sort of you know, especially with, with with Dan. Anyway, they're always heavy rock bands and metallica or someone <laughs> or. They're, they're, I, 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 it's funny because sometimes I don't know. I'm, I'm the worst in the world. But my my son has been up here and, and my daughter woke up here with me as well, and they know them straight away because I think they're of the age. And I'm gone. Who are they? it's terrible. Oh, yeah. I just had to say hello.
0: <laughs> hello. Um well you I mean you've had the queen in there. Um I mean, oh, yeah. is there uh <laughs>
2: Yeah, you. Yeah, I'm besides sure towers, her <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah,
0: <laughs> yeah. Yeah, yeah. Um, is there anyone who had a particularly uh, that you remember that had like a particularly extreme reaction to seeing um, all this weaponry?
2: Uh, um, there was a few, that? but I can't. Like, there's a few because we, we brought so many around, and uh, but probably no one famous, such. I mean, I mean, no one sort of famously coming in to it. Um, that would scream and shout because everybody's like has their own. But a lot of people, a lot of a lot of the family friends, or a lot of people that would come in, always just love being able to pick up the weapons, and the needles, and the oak keepers, and with his whale and long claw. You know, being able to feel it and oh, you know, delight with the photographs and. But sort of none that would sort of you know go be screaming and shouting. I mean, in fairness, it, the only ones that were, that were that were crazy were I think I think. But David Dave and Dan's wives are normally mad because they normally have when they bring the friends in they're always swinging the swords around trying to kill each other, so they're <laughs> probably the most lun- a few lunatics that used to come in the road and the friends with them but um
0: huh, so yeah. a- amanda Pete got it okay um, so <laughs> um uh, what what did it feel like for you when you made the last weapon? For season eight,
1: yeah, just, it
2: was, just, it was, just relief. It's a little bit, a little, little bit, a little bit of both because I think we we sort of kept going. Um, we made so much on season eight; it was unbelievable. But there's there's one creation in season season eight that is absolutely phenomenal. It'll it'll be a showstopper, and that was great to finish. It was great to make, great to design it, and great to design it that it was able to be reverse engineered and made into two different items. Um but again it's one of those things where yeah, it was it was great to see it done because then we knew we were on schedule and we knew it was made, but then knowing that, you know, we're coming to the end, we're coming to the end and, you know, please God, you know, green light the good prequel, please <laughs> like one of those. <laughs> you know, it's like we're gonna be unemployed very soon. Quick. <laughs> um so right, and yeah, but it was great. That,
0: it, yeah. Yeah, it's not a secret to say that you're working on you and your your team are working on the prequel series. Uh, yeah, and again, I'm um, very I'm very yeah.
2: grateful again to to, like to the HBO for for um putting me forward for it as well. So because obviously there's so many people out there that can do it, but it's very nice to get a shout out at this one again.
0: Oh well, yeah. You've got this whole library of of the world, I'm I'm sure. I mean, and your work is so incredible. Um, the you you talked before. I've heard you talk a couple times about, um, the daunting amount of work you had to do for season eight. Well, we never know?
2: stopped. I mean, I mean, it's like we we never stopped the the, the certain weaponry that we have, and we never never stopped until so virtually the last week making this. It was just nonstop, nonstop. Um, but it was like um, it, it's very hard. It's very hard to describe. But this year, my, probably the biggest was the which is, which is siege engines, which is the larger of the weaponry. I've um, never made as many of them in one season. Like we have three different items, nearly four different items that are, that all will feature very very heavily, as well as all the smaller items. The smaller weaponry is just by so many of them and so multiple layers of them. Mm-hmm. It just seems to be nonstop, um, but this, this this season will 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 decimate any other season or all season put together.
0: And a siege engine is like a large like like a large scale thing you use to to batter down a, a wall or a castle door.
2: Well, yeah, be like, that, like right? that in the world. I mean, the siege engine would be either you know it'd be either. Uh, giant crossbows or trebuchets or catapults right. or sort of larger right. of the weapons that would be used to to um, decimate castles or you know fire projectiles or but in but yeah. you know it's just but so many it's, it's very very unusual to have so many in a season. You know, sometimes you prolong these. Yeah. You have one, this one, it, this 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 year just. Our last year just absolutely decimated everybody. I mean, it was a lot of work. It was it was a hell of a lot of work. Um, it was great doing it, but it was just it was just relentless. It was relentless. Yeah. Um, very enjoyable, but it was it was really relentless and nonstop. And it was just like push, 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 push. Um, but that's what it is. That's that's, that's, that's the that's the world we were in, and and we're well used to it.
0: Well, congratulations for being on the other side of that. Um, and then my, <laughs> my last questions or my last two questions for you is, uh, you know, all these hero blades that you made. Yeah. Um, long claw, all of these. Did, yeah. did your, did, did the actors take any of these homes? Does Kit have long No, no, Gwendolyn have a keeper. No, no, okay.
2: funny because I did, I did, I did at the very start of the season. I, I um, I obviously spoke regarding that that you know, whether whether cast were going to have any weaponry and um uh it worked out they didn't. So nobody has nobody nobody um has any has any cast weaponry at all. Which is okay. it actually uh-huh. surprised me because I thought, I mean I, I actually yeah. offered I offered to make and create um if 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 required replicas or uh, or officially yeah. no, nobody has any.
0: Okay. Okay. Um, and then, uh, as for you, um, and, and you I know, have none either. I, was, I can tell you that. have none either. <laughs> Did you grab anything else? Anything <laughs> non-pointed as memorabilia
2: no. from the show? No, no. The only, <laughs> I, took, I, the only thing I took was the queen's money. That's so. all. But um, other oh, than that, right, <laughs> <sure
1: enough.
2: laughs> I couldn't find my answer. So. Um, no, no. I'm not, I'm not one of these people that hoards, and unfortunately, I, I don't hoard. Yeah, if I if I hoarded every weapon from every show I made, um, I think my walls would fall down. <laughs> There'd be nothing enough. left of it. <clears throat>
0: I was just, I was just thinking of like what, what you might take, and I was like, well, how cool that there's a god named the Smith. Like, I would be tempted to take a if there was some sort of statue made for the Smith (laughs) god. If I were you, I'd be tempted to take it. But money, money
2: will do. I haven't seen one yet. I haven't haven't seen one yet, and I don't think props would appreciate me taking that either. So (laughs) I think either way, I couldn't get away with it if I (laughs) wanted it.
0: Um, alright well thank you so much again for your time I really really appreciate it
2: not at all absolute absolute pleasure
0: alright well that is it for Two Swords Richard until we return where can people find you
1: oh I'm just some fans are having me over for dinner
0: Um, You can find Richard tweeting his last tweets on Rylos as he heads over to the fence house. Uh, You can find me on Joe Wrote This. Just think about that hand. That's what I will be doing. I'll think about Jamie's hand. Uh, next time we will be talking about season four, episode eight, "The Mountain of the Viper." So basically, we're book ending our first over an episode and our last over <laughs>
1: That's kind of that's <laughs> kind of cruel. this great new character. Now he's dead.
0: Now he's gone. Um, but
1: like horribly, kind of, horribly but dead.
0: It's kind of amazing that he only lasted seven episodes of the show and he still loops large as an like icon. A, an icon. All right, we will see you guys next time.